0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the People Processes Podcast, where we dive into the updates, interviews, and yes, processes that will help your organization thrive. My name is Rami Alijil, and my goal is to help HR managers and business owners create an environment where their people are their organization's competitive advantage. Today, we're doing a quick Q&A on a a couple different topics that have been asked to us about vacation leave, about Occupational Safety and Administration Act, ERISA, and most importantly, what happens when an employee punches another one? Oh, and don't forget, we post to LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook, and I would love to hear from you on there with any questions. You can also subscribe to us by going to peopleprocesses.com, where you will receive special subscriber-only content for free. People Processes is also available wherever you get your podcast, and it syndicates on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher Radio. So, first question. Can we require that employees exhaust their vacation and sick time at the beginning of an improved medical leave of absence? Generally, an employer may require employees to exhaust their paid time off when on medical leave, uh, such as that time under, uh, off under FMLA, Family Medical Leave Act. Um, even if that time is unpaid. So when not required, employers may choose to use their paid time off, vacation, or sick pay benefits to maintain income for part of their leave. Whether using paid leave or not, leave taken for an FMLA qualified reason is job protected, of course. So in general, what they're, what people are asking when they ask this question is FMLA and maybe some other unpaid leaves that you have, uh, like a long-term sabbatical or maybe you have unpaid maternity leave, uh, which could fall under FMLA as well, do can we require that we they exhaust their PTO first? That we pay them out for that info first? And yes, if an employee is receiving um, unpaid leave and they have PTO, you can elect to require they use their PTO first. If you don't elect to do that, then they can choose one way or the other uh, to do it. But it's it, once you you can require it, and if you do that, it has to be the same for all employees. Keep that in mind. Some other notes, if an employee is receiving any wage replacement benefits such as like benefits paid under a disability pop plan or workers comp during an FMLA leave, the employee generally may not use and the employee may not require, the employer may not require, the employee to use any accrued or accumulated paid benefit time. So if they're getting disability or they're getting workers' comp, you can't count that as PTO, that's different. There are some exceptions in a few states where employees may be allowed to combine workers' comp and disability benefits uh, with paid time off benefits to further supplement income while on leave, but that's pretty rare. Uh, And it never can exceed their full take-home pay. So normally that's in the case of like a partial disability, but basically no. Um, Exhaustion of paid leave is usually allowed where employers extend leave as an accommodation under the Americans uh, Americans with Disability Act, the ADA, or comparable state laws. So if you're making an accommodation due to disability, you can absolutely require they use their PTO first for that. As paid sick leave laws continue to be mandated in states and localities though, be sure to check your state and local laws before drafting policies that require employees to use their paid leave. In all cases, your policies regarding use of paid time during medical leaves of absences should be clear and understandable and universally applied. A best practice is to have all policies regarding leave in your employee handbook and available to all your employees for review. Keep that in mind as well. Okay, next question. What events must employers report to the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA? Um, This is kind of a broad one, uh, but all employers, I'm going to assume that you're talking about what must they report, not can they, but must. All employers are required to notify OSHA when an employee is killed on the job or suffers a work-related hospitalization, amputation, or loss of an eye. So the big stuff. There are some exemptions to that. Employers must work, report work-related fatalities within eight hours of finding out about the fatality. For any inpatient hospitalization, amputation, or eye loss, employers must report the incident within 24 hours of learning about the incident. So you've got to turn around, let OSHA know quick. Some interesting things to note, only fatalities occurring within 30 days of the work-related incident must be reported to OSHA. Further, for an impatient hospitalization, amputation, or loss of an eye, incidents must be reported to OSHA only if they occur within 24 hours of the work-related incident. Importantly, starting in 2017, back in January, many employers are required to electronically submit their summary of injuries and illnesses to OSHA. Uh, I have links on the website. If you go to peopleprocesses.com, where you can read on linked websites about the required electronic reporting, specifically information about the electronic submission, injury tracking application, and OSHA's serious event online reporting website. So you can save that online event reporting website, and boom, you can just go in and and put that in there immediately. The electronic submission is a little bit more paperworky, long-term stuff. But if you have over 100 Employees, you definitely need to do it every year. Um, some things to note, some exceptions. Employers do not have to report an event if it resulted from a motor vehicle accident on a public street or highway, unless that's a construction work zone. It occurred on a commercial or public transportation system, such as an airplane or bus, or it involved hospitalization for diagnostic testing or observation only. So, someone falls and hits their head and they go into the hot you know, we take them to the hospital just in case and they need to maybe get diagnostic testing or observation but there's not really any diagnosis, that doesn't have to be reported to OSHA if you again, assuming that there's no actual injury that they're just not sure. Okay? Uh, reporting requirements can be more stringent in states with OSHA's approved state plans, so check your state's reporting rules in addition to the federal OSHA regulations to avoid citations and penalties. All right, uh, next question. What benefits are subject to ERISA? Okay, ERISA is the Employee Retirement Income Security Act of 1974, Um, and whether a benefit offered by an employer is subject to ERISA will depend on whether the benefit is a quote, employee welfare benefit plan. And that's based on section 3, subsection 1 of ERISA. Employee welfare benefit plans include, but are not limited to, any plan, fund, or program established or maintained by an employer, employee organization, or both, that is maintained for the purpose of providing, through the purchase of insurance or otherwise, medical, surgical, or hospital care or benefits, or benefits in the event of sickness, accident, disability, death, or unemployment. Vacation benefits, apprenticeships, and other training programs, daycare centers, and scholarship funds are also included. Some common ERISA benefits include, among others, medical, vision, dental, life, long-term disability, and AD&D plans. health flexible spending arrangements, which is health FSAs, certain disease-specific plans, such as cancer plans, health reimbursement arrangements, certain employee assistant plans, short, certain short-term disability coverage, depending on how it's funded, prescription health uh, benefits, drug benefits, and certain wellness programs. So the answer is a lot, right? There are some exceptions to this, but they're really the not the rule, okay? If you're offering plans that are established by the employer or employee groups, then and it's for the welfare of your employees, it's probably an ERISA plan. Now, ERISA comes with a lot of interesting guidelines that we can get into in another episode, but in general, it requires non-discrimination testing. It requires that you offer it equally uh, to, a lot, to the employees, that no particular class benefits too much. Kind of some important rules there, but assume as a rule that your stuff is ERISA plans. Final question, and this is the one, this is the teaser at the beginning. While working, an employee assaulted his coworker in our California workplace. May the injured employee pursue a workers' compensation claim? So you got one employee punches another employee in the face, bam. Can that employee who got punched in the face get workers' comp? Right? Are you liable for it? The answer is yeah, absolutely. An employee who is assaulted at work by a coworker may absolutely elect to file a workers' compensation claim. Um, She can also uh, file an internal complaint, report over the assault to the police, and or pursue a civil lawsuit. Whether the worker's compensation claim or any other claim will be successful are going to depend on the facts of that actual engagement. Uh, One of the key considerations is, was the injured employee the initial physical aggressor? According to California law at California Labor Code Section 3600, subsection A7, link on our website, employers are not liable under the state's workers' compensation law for an injury that arises out of an altercation in which the injured employee is the initial physical aggressor. Regardless, after an injury occurred in the workplace, California employees must, employers must, provide a workers compensation claim form to the defendant within one working day after a work related injury or illness is reported return a completed copy of the claim form once you fill it out to the claimant within one working day of receipt forward the claim form along with the employer's report of occupational injury or illness to the claims administrator within one working day of receipt within one working day of the claim authorize up to ten thousand inappropriate medical treatment ten thousand dollars you need to provide traditional, uh, transitional work, light like duty, whenever appropriate, and you need to give a notice of workers' compensation eligibility within one working day of the crime assault that happened at work. So you've got uh, eligibility notification, claim form, filled out claim form, up to ten thousand dollars in mo- appropriate medical treatment, uh, and you got to get it over to the um, insurance carrier within a day. Okay, so yeah, it, it totally. <laughs> So the reason is it's not for the employer to determine whether the injury will be covered under its workers' compensation insurance. Rather, that claims administrator is going to determine whether the injury itself is covered. So you don't need to do an investigation. You just turn that in. They'll take care of it. Another issue worth mentioning is that California employers are required to abide by a duty of care in the workforce. According to California Labor Code Section 6401, Every employer shall furnish and use safety devices and safeguards and shall adopt and use practices, means, methods, operations, and processes which are reasonably adequate to render such employment and place of employment safe and healthful. Every employer shall do every other thing reasonably necessary to protect protect the life, safety, and health of the employees. Violations of this duty incur significant monetary damages. So if this is a trend, if you have an environment that... that encourages this or allows it, if you're not doing everything, every other thing reasonably necessary to protect the life, safety, and health of the employees, there can be additional monetary damages, and significant ones. So this is California law, but it, it's generally applicable, it's a little different elsewhere, it's not quite as stringent in a lot of other states, but yeah, if one employee punches another one, you're responsible for that other employee's medical bills under your workers' comp. Okay, it happened at work, and it happened in a work environment, you're responsible. Read more about workers' compensation and the process on the State of California Department of Industrial Relations website, which we link on our website at peopleprocesses.com. You can also read more about workplace assaults at the Cal- and Cal OSHA guidelines for workplace security on links on our website as well. Ladies and gentlemen, that is it for today. I hope this was helpful. We've answered some good questions. I I appreciate you guys sending them in. Anything you need help with or you want us to research or you just want to share with other HR managers who maybe are in the same situation, drop us a line on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and we would love to respond. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen in today. Go out there. Have a great day. This is Rami Ali-Jill. Go get your work done.